All right, well, the kiddos are dismissed. If you have your Bibles tonight, open back up to the book of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 7, uh, looking at verses 1 through 6 um, here this evening. Um, so when it comes to a lot of different things um, in this world, having a, a standard to measure to um, really is an important thing. Um, for instance, if you've ever dealt with scales, you'll know that scales kind of get off balance every once in a while, and, and every once in a while you have to um, rebalance those scales or, uh, or kind of get them back where they're supposed to be. And, and uh, what you'll have to do sometimes, like on a bigger scale, they'll take like a 50-pound weight that they know is exactly 50 pounds, and they'll set it on the scale, and, and they'll make sure it's not like 50.1 or 50.2 or 49 point whatever to make sure it's 50, and they'll set it to where it's correct. Um, my wife, she works at a um, company in, over in Ashton, and, and what she does is she um, makes food all day, right? And so um, they have what's called a standard. And so um, you have big packages that get put into smaller packages, and they'll take those, and they'll make those, um, and they have to check the taste and the color and the texture and all those things, and they compare it to the standard, which is the right one, right? And so it's just really important so many different areas of life, and it's super important when it comes to what we're talking about today, which is this issue um, that I'm, I'm sure we have all dealt with or heard about at some point, this, this issue of judgment and, and this issue of really judging other people. And what we'll see today is, is really the standard of measurement that, that, that we use to judge is so important. And as we'll see, it really starts with the standard we use to judge ourselves is what really will end up determining how we judge other people. So why don't we go ahead and read our text for today, and then we'll ask God's blessing upon it and get into it. So starting in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 7, it says this, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help um, you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you'll be able to see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs, for they will trample the pearls and then turn and attack you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, so much just for this day and for this opportunity to be here for the amazing time of worship uh, that we had, Lord. I'm just, I just—I love that last song, just thinking upon the goodness of God. And God, you have been faithful in so many ways um, throughout our entire lives, Lord. And, and we're just thankful for who you are and just for the, uh, the, 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 just the amazing gift of grace you've given us in Christ. And, and tonight, I just pray um, that above all things, Lord, you are magnified in this place. Um, Lord, as we, as we get into this passage of Scripture, I pray that you would teach us, that you would give us fresh eyes to an old passage of Scripture and uh, help us to see how this applies to our lives, Lord. I pray that, that you would reign in this place, that you would reign in our hearts and in our minds, that you would remove um, the enemy, that there's no room for him where you're at. And so I just pray that you'd remove distractions, God. Help us not to worry about what happened earlier today or what's going on to that tonight or tomorrow. God, just give us the ability to focus over these next moments, God, that you can speak to our hearts and lives. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would speak tonight, that you would just uh, let, let your word come forth in a way that, uh, that we all know it's from you and not me. 
Um, Lord, we love you. We praise you. And we ask you things in Jesus' name. Amen. So over the last number of weeks, we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount, and in that, Jesus has dealt a lot with um, really the, the inward attitudes of people in so many ways. You know, whether um, it, it be our view of, of sin or how we view our personal rights or even the, the basic practice we talked a few weeks ago about giving or praying or, or fasting, um, the, the inward attitude we have on these things really is super important. Um, and the reason I believe that Jesus has focused so much really on the inward man, this inward attitude of us, is because the attitude we have on the inside in so many ways determines what comes out from us in our actual physical lives. You know, what's been a common point that Jesus has been making throughout all of these lessons is that for us to do things God's way, we cannot have an inward attitude that is selfish or self-serving, right? It, it needs to be the idea of, of, of the other person first. Um, it's the idea of um, sacrifice on our part, really. I mean, for instance, if, if we're only worried about our personal rights, we'll, we'll never really be able to deal with people correctly, especially difficult ones. If we're, if we're worried about our status among people and, and, and being praised by people, we'll never be able to give with the right motives. If we're worried about just getting what we want and our will being done, our prayers will never be effective. If we're only worried about building earthly treasure for ourselves in the present, we'll never accumulate spiritual heavenly treasure for the future. Um, the truth is, is that our inward attitude when it comes to our lives is so, so important and certainly important when it comes to what we're talking about today, which is this issue of judging um, people and how we do that. Um, it's been well said that uh, even for people that have never been in church, even for people that have never read the Bible, somehow or another, they know this passage. Um, you know, it is whenever you talk to them about sin or talk to them about this or that, doesn't the Bible say that you're not supposed to judge, right? Um, I will say there's this probably one of the most well-known passages of Scripture and probably, honestly, one of the also most misunderstood passages of Scripture that there are as well. So why don't we get into it and just see, gonna see what we what Jesus has to say about the subject. He starts here in verse 1. I just want to read that first part of it again. He just says simply, do not judge others. Now at first glance, it really seems as if Jesus is saying that under any and all circumstances, it is wrong to judge other people. The question is, is that actually and literally what Jesus is saying? And I would say yes and no, depending on how you look at it. Because when it comes to, make, to judging a person, as we'll see in a minute, because it's really the definition of judge in the negative light is this, the idea of having a critical attitude towards people, uh, this idea of condemnation towards people, making assumptions on a person's motives, automatically thinking negative towards them. Th that's the negative side of judging. But as we'll see, we are called to make judgments towards situations and people and things using the wisdom that God has given us. So obviously in the sense of negativity being critical and condemning towards people, obviously yes, that is sin and sin all of the time. But as we'll see as we get into verse 6 and even later on in chapter 7, we'll see that we're called to be discerning as God's people. We have to make judgments at times. For instance, later on in chapter 7, he talks about how we're supposed to be wary of false prophets 
and, and you'll talk, he, he makes this illustration about a, a good fruit and bad fruit, and a good tree bears good fruit, a bad tree bears bad fruit, so in a like the same way, we need to look at people and, and ju- make a judgment on what we see. Are they bearing good fruit and bad fruit, and therefore, are they true um, teachers of God's Word, or are they false prophets? So, we need to understand that there's kind of a both-and situation here when it comes to judging and judgment. Um, clearly, not all judging is the same thing in God's eyes, and there are definitely some judgments made um, that are wrong and sinful, but also times that we are called to make judgments towards other people using godly wisdom. We'll kind of see the difference in that here tonight. But in this first part, do not judge, he, he really is speaking, obviously, of the negative side of this. So when he says do not judge, um, what does he really mean what he is saying when, when he is saying this, right? Well, well, here's what I don't believe what Jesus means when he says do not judge. For instance, I, I don't believe that he's saying that under all circumstances we should automatically assume that everybody is innocent no matter what they've done in their past. No matter what we know about them, I don't think it's just an automatic assumption that this person is innocent, right? I don't think it's um, a call for us to turn a blind eye to people's faults. I don't think he's saying that we should never use discernment. I don't think he uh, is saying that we should never consider a person's past, um, how they've conducted themselves. I don't think that's what he's saying at all. He's certainly not saying that we should not call sin, sin. He's certainly not saying that we should overlook people's sin. And he is certainly not saying that we should not confront people's sin. That, that's not what he's saying when he says, do not judge. He's, he's really speaking of attitude of the heart. Not necessarily the outward action as much as it is um, what's in here to begin with. Now, this is really where we kind of get where many people know this verse, even if they don't know the Bible, because if you confront somebody on a sin issue, the, many times the first response is, who are you to judge me? Don't you know that judging is wrong, right? Now, what's the problem with that? Well, the problem with that statement and, and for, that people make when they're confronted is the Bible clearly defines things that are absolutely sin, right? I mean, there's, there's sayings that the Bible defines as absolutely wrong under any and all circumstances. And, and furthermore, there's actually a call in Scripture for God's people to confront one another when there is sin and when there are problems. So certainly he's not saying that uh, we should never ever confront people in sin. The idea here is, is this. Here's what he is saying. He is saying that our initial thought towards people should not automatically be critical or condemning. Like the first thought we have when we think of somebody should not automatically go to the negative side, right? He's saying that we should not assume the first... Especially when it comes to a person's motives, for instance. We're not God, we can think all we want, we know what their heart is, we, we know what their motive is, but we are not God, and we are making a judgment call of negativity or a condemning judgment call towards people, and he says we should not do that. As one commentary said, we must not pass judgment on others' motives. We should examine their actions and attitudes, but we cannot pass um, judgment on their motives, for only God can see their hearts. The idea here is that he's saying that we should show people grace, give them the benefit of the doubt before we judge their motives. Just make an assumption that they're not being evil, for starters, right? Make an assumption that they don't mean something bad about it, about it right? And, and that really, in so many areas, that's where so many problems start. Before a situation ever unfolds, 
there's issues because one person or another is making a judgment call toward people because they're just convinced that their motives are bad and therefore they're on the defensive or the attack before the situation ever gets there and it causes so many problems so many times in the lives of God's people. There's an aspect of this I also believe that he's saying, as we'll see in a little bit here, um, when we approach this stuff, we should approach it understanding that we also are not perfect. We also have many, many issues ourselves, and we always need to keep an, an understanding that if, if we're not perfect, we can't expect everybody to be perfect either, right? And, and there's also, I think, an idea here that could there possibly be a reason that somebody may respond a certain way? Like, do they have something going on in their lives? If they have a facial expression that we look at and go, oh, what are they up to? Did they have a bad day? Did they have something go on that, 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 was, that put them in this spot of this attitude? Whatever it is, right? And so we should take a step back instead of instantly stepping forward to make a judgment call. Step back and say, wait a minute. Is there more going on here than meets the eye? When he says, do not judge, I really kind of believe that's kind of the context of what he's talking about here. Um, one commentary says, the command to judge not is not a requirement to be blind, but rather to be generous towards people. Jesus is not saying that we should never make judgments calls. He's, he's simply telling us that our inward attitude towards people when making them is the difference between a righteous judgment and a sinful one. So he says, do not judge. Then he goes on and says, and you will not be judged. And it's just an interesting phrase, isn't it? And what does he mean by that? When he says, if you don't judge, you won't be judged. I mean, is he really saying that if we don't judge people, that, that God's going to turn a blind eye to our sin and our mess-ups? Is that what he means? I mean, certainly not. I mean, Pat, you know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 20, or 36, he says that, uh, that everyone will give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word that they have spoken. I mean, we're, we're going to give an account. So he's not, he's not talking about God turning a, a blind eye. So what is he talking about here? Well, let's go on in verse 2. He says, for you will be treated as you treat others. So do not judge others. You will not be judged. For if you do, right, you'll be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. So what is he talking? This really is in so many ways like, well, what does this really mean? And I've, and I've, and I've thought a lot about this this week. What does he mean by that? That you will not be judged. You will, the way you treat others, you're going to be treated. The standard you use is going to be measured back to you. Like, well, what is he talking about? Is, is he talking about heavenly judgment? Is he talking about earthly judgment? Is he talking about both? Is it possible that there are you know, connotations to both heavenly judgment and earthly judgment in this statement? And I think probably so. For instance, will we have to answer for the sins of sinfully judging people someday when it comes to well, when we stand before God? I mean, sure. I mean, if we're, if we're going to give an account for everything that we have done, will we stand before God and give an account for judging people sinfully? I think that's true. Another question, for the Christians, could there be heavenly rewards given or heavenly rewards not given based on how we deal with people in this way? I think so. 
Because what are heavenly rewards for? It's for doing things God's way. It's for living God's way. It's for treating people in a godly manner, right? And so we're rewarded for loving people and serving people and not judging people and all those different things. So could there be heavenly rewards given for us doing this right? I believe so. For the non-Christian, could their eternal punishment be partially due to what they do here? Well, sure. Yeah, as 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and each one will receive what he is due for the things that he has done. And so to a very, like a heavenly extent on judgment day, we will give an account for the judgment that we do do or don't do. But is it strictly heavenly judgment? No. I don't believe so. Now consider for a moment, this may seem like it's unrelated, but consider Proverbs chapter 12, or 3 and verse 12. He says this, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, um, the son he delights in. Now, how does God discipline his children? And this has something, this, I'm going somewhere with this, right? Uh, GotQuestions.org got says this. How does God discipline us? God can and does use various methods of discipline. He may use trouble at work, hardship at home, or travail in the ministry. God may allow us to experience loss, as David did. God may send physical ailments or even death, as the church of Corinth experienced. Often God will simply allow natural consequences of our sin to run their course. We are forgiven but not corrected so that we will not be, not be condemned ultimately um, finally in the world. Anyways, the question is this, and it's kind of rolling around in my head this week as I was studying this. Could it be possible that God will show us grace and patience in, er in our areas of weakness in our life if we show grace and patience towards others. Meaning, we all have issues, we all have problems in our lives, but if we are judgmental people and we're harsh toward others in this area, could it be possible that God will be harsher with us in our sin? And if we're kind and gracious and generous with people, could God be more kind and gracious and generous even in dealing with us now in our own lives? Consider Psalm chapter 103 and verse 10. He says, he does not punish us for all of our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. And the question that went around my head this week is this, is it possible that if we are harsh and judgmental toward people that God will deal with us in a harsher manner, or if we remove some, or is it possible that, that he will even remove some spiritual protection to allow us to fall on our face, to teach us a lesson in humility? Is that possible? Well, I, I can tell you that I think experience would probably tell all of us that, yeah, that's probably True. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so there is an aspect of, of this passage here where he's talking about the measure used, we've measured back to, I, I believe in our earthly life, if we are people that are generous and grace to the people and, and not quick to judge, I believe in a lot of ways God will show us grace and mercy even in our own lives and at times will even withhold discipline because of our hearts towards other people. I, I really think there is something to that. Because he says the standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Now as we get into verse 3 and 4, we really get into the, kind of the heart of the issue about how we deal with this issue of judging properly. And in verse 3, 
In verse 4, we get this picture of this speck in this log. And he says, why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of the speck in your eye when you can't even see past the log in your own eye? Now, so you have this illustration of a tiny speck. Picture a little tiny speck of dust, right? Or, or whatever you want to picture in a person's eye. And you have like this big giant two-by-four sticking out of another. And so Jesus uses like this exaggerated illustration to make a really clear spiritual point. It's kind of funny in a lot of ways, right? But the question is, is Jesus saying that we should not ever be concerned with another person's sin? Is that the point of this? Well, no. That's not what he's saying at all. In fact, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 tells us this. Brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person get back in the right path. So Jesus is not saying, this is not a passage that says, you have your own issues to deal with, you have no right talking to somebody else about the sin in their life. That's not the point of what Jesus is saying here. And honestly, a person who says that, thinking they're being judged, doesn't have a clear understanding of Scripture. Because as Christians, we should come alongside of one another and help one another, especially when we see somebody else in sin. Now, here's what I, is saying, what I believe he is saying, and I think the point is kind of this. We think about this plank in our own eye, right? So we're, picture me having a plank in my own eye, and, and, and I'm making a judgment towards Cassie, right? If I have a big log in my eye, can I even see her properly? I may be able to see a kind of a corner out of the, No, and, and that's kind of the point, right? He's saying, for, for me to be able to help her, I first have to get rid of that big giant log so that I can help her, right? So, and, so the idea is we first have to realize that we first have plenty of issues of our own before we can deal with anybody else. There has to be kind of an inward inventory of our own lives. Before we worry about the speck in somebody else's eye, we need to make sure we're dealing with numero uno first. I think he's also saying that it's hard for a person to see their own faults in this illustration. You know, so he's talking about a person with a log and a person with a speck. And, and, and kind of the idea here is, is it's kind of like a little switcheroo type of thing, right? So the person with the log in this illustration thinks in their mind that the person with the speck is actually the one with the log. I mean, do you get that picture of kind of what Jesus is saying here? And he's saying, you've got it backwards. You're the one with the log in your eye, and that's the one with the speck in there. So get the one out of your eye first so you can see clearly to help the other one. Another point is that we first need to deal with our own issues, and we won't, um, we won't be able to, if we, if we don't deal with our issues first, we're not going to be able to properly come alongside and help somebody else. So think of like a um, for instance, like an eye surgeon, right? Somebody that's going to do LASIK eye surgery, right, Phil? Um, how would you like to have a, a blind man or a, a guy that has, you know, barely any vision and he's squinting? We're, all right, I, th- I think I got it, right? You, you wouldn't feel very comfortable, right? And in fact, a person like that doing LASIK eye surgery could do far more damage than they could do good. You'd rather have somebody with clear eyes and a steady hand going and they're doing such intricate work because who knows that the eye is one of the most sensitive parts of the body. You ever just get an eyelash in your eye and it's just like, man, it feels like sandpaper in there. And, and I think he intentionally uses the illustration of an eye for a reason because the eye is such a sensitive thing. And when it comes to dealing with another person's sin, it's such a sensitive thing, right? And so we have to make sure that when we do this, when we're approaching somebody else, that we do it with clear eyes. Because if we don't, we can do far more damage in the situation than we can do good. And so he says in verse 5, he says, 
He says, hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, then you'll be able to see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend. So before we judge or especially confront another person, we had better do a wholesome search of ourselves first. You know, we're not perfect, and I think we all know this. We've all got way more issues than we probably even realize, and the only way that we can approach somebody else with the right attitude is to make sure that our hearts are with God are right first. And so Jesus, again, is not saying here that we should never confront a person. In fact, he just said the opposite. I think he, he's actually advocating in this passage that we should help one another. He's not saying don't help one another. He's not saying don't worry about the speck in your brother's eye. He's saying just take care of yourself first. Make sure your heart and, and attitude is right. That way you can help them. See, Satan wants to convince us that we don't have the right to confront somebody else. You ever felt like that? Like, in your heart of hearts, you see somebody you love going down a path that is wrong, or doing something that you know is wrong, and, and you're like, man, I feel like I should say something. But then this voice in your head goes, but, but who am I to judge? Who's ever felt like that? Like, man, I, I, I've been there, I've done that, I got this issue in my life, I... I I'd be a hypocrite if I went and approached them about this. Or that, that's not what Jesus is saying here. He, he's not saying that we shouldn't go approach somebody because we have issues too. He's, he's just simply saying, take care of your issues first so that you can be a help to them. So, so you can help them in the best possible way. It's all about our inward attitude. If we approach somebody else kind of with this, and this is kind of what happens so often, right? And this is really where the problem comes in, especially amongst Christians, because this is, I mean, speaking to God's people here. You ever deal with somebody with a holier-than-thou attitude? You know what I mean? That's what this is really dealing with. He, he, again, he's not saying don't deal with the speck in your brother or sister's eye. He's saying, don't come to it, don't, don't come to that situation like, like the old farm turn, like your poop don't stink. Y you know what I mean? Because it does. We, we have all got issues. And so we can't come self-righteously, we can't come in an arrogant, holier-than-thou holier matter, because if we do, we're going to do more damage to that person than good. There's no room for self-righteousness in the life of a Christian. And that really is the root of this passage of Scripture. A self-righteous person does far more damage than they do good, especially when it comes to this relationship between Christians and sin. And it's just an interesting little tidbit. If you've ever read the Gospels and, and, and with um, who Jesus actually confronts, you know, with some of the most vile of sinners, he comes alongside of them. He's, you know, he'll say, yeah, you know, you know, go and sin no more, but he shows them grace and kindness. You know, the only ones he ever really gets rough with are the self-righteous hypocrites. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble, right? And so that's the picture of this, this log in somebody's eye and a speck in the other. A self-righteous person is the one with the log, and they can't help anybody. They're going to do damage to anybody that they try to help. So his big point in these first five verses is that when it comes to judging people, we really have to check our hearts to make sure that we have pure motives when doing it because we can easily fall into sin, and if we're blinded by self-righteousness, we're going to be ineffective in helping anybody. 
and will surely be in sin before God. Now, he gets to verse, verse 6 here, and he, and he gives this illustration that almost seems out of place, and yet it, it makes a lot of sense in context. In verse 6, he says this, don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Most of the older translations will say something like, do not give what is holy to the dogs. Because dogs were considered kind of like unclean animals. Anyways, he goes on and says, you know, don't throw your pearls to pigs, for they will trample the pearls and then turn and attack you. Now, what in the world does this have to do with the prior five verses? Well, first of all, in context, right? He's speaking to a crowd of Jewish people that very much understood Jewish law and Jewish um, patterns of worship and all these different things, right? So there's a, a picture here of a, a priest in the temple would not take a sacrificial lamb and chuck it out the do- back door to the dogs. You, you just wouldn't do that, right? It was like an awful sacrilege to do something like that. And, and in the same way, you wouldn't, you wouldn't take like um, the showbread, the grain off here, right, and, and chuck it all back into the pig pen. You just wouldn't do it. You don't, you don't throw something that is holy to things that are undeserving or, or don't appreciate the value that, that those things have, right? So what Jesus is talking about here is that there are people who will not and are not ready to receive a spiritual treasure. It's kind of the idea. Here's what I mean by this. Let's think about what a spiritual treasure might be. So think about this in just kind of the immediate context of helping a person deal with sin. So when we think of speck, right, it's, it's, it's the idea of, you know, again, I'll, I'll use me and Tyler right now, right? So me and Tyler have a relationship. Tyler has a sin issue in his life, and I want to come alongside of him and help him, right? And so I can't do that properly with a log of my own eye. I first have to deal with myself first so I can come with the right attitude to help him, right? Now, this also has a flip side of it as well, because... If Tyler has a sin in his life, is it easy to be confronted by that? Well, no, it's not. It's not fun being confronted by some issue that you have in your life. But is it a treasure? Is it something that is precious? Like if, if he has something in his life that is going to lead him to a path of sin and destruction in his life, is it a treasure for me to come alongside of him in love and in care to help him get away from that, to bring him closer to the Lord. Absolutely. That's something that is absolutely precious. And it's something that, that godly people absolutely value. I mean, it may sting at first. It may hurt at first. But they see the value in it as something that is a treasure spiritually, right? Kind of like Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 6. He says, wounds from a sincere friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. Like, so it's like this. A loving rebuke to a brother or sister in Christ is precious. It's a holy thing. It's like a precious pearl if one chooses to um, receive it correctly. But for the prideful and self-righteous person who doesn't see that as treasure, but rather they see it as an offense, to their pride or to their person, when confronted, their likely response is to attack. Hence, don't throw pearls to swine or they'll turn on you and attack you. So Jesus here likens people like that to an unholy dog or a a pig who will turn on you and rip you to pieces. I mean, it's it's a pretty pretty uh, graphic picture of what, he th- what God thinks of people like that. 
Who's ever dealt with a person like this? You confront them on an issue, and instead of receiving it, their first response is to attack. They get angry, they start pointing the finger back at you, remind you of your past and all the things that you have done. They bring all these accusations against you to reflect the situation away from them and on you instead. That's a person that does not appreciate the spiritual treasure of a person coming alongside of them. That's a person that Jesus likens to a pig that doesn't value the pearl and they'll turn around and attack. If a person's first response is to get angry and defensive or their first thought is, is finding excuses to justify their actions or attack that person confronting them in love, they are prideful people who have an opinion of themselves that is far greater than it should be. And Jesus says like a, that's like throwing pearls before swine. Have you ever seen Old Yeller? That old Disney movie, Old Yeller? Remember that part where um, the, the older boy up there, he was in the tree and he was trying to tag the, tag the pigs and, and he fell down in there? What happened? They attacked him. They, they ripped him and his dog to pieces, right? I mean, not only are our pigs unclean animals in the Jewish world, but they were vicious and dangerous. And, and so the idea of this passage here where, where Jesus says in verse 6, don't waste what is holy in people. people. Don't waste what is holy in people who run holy. Don't throw pigs or pearls before pigs so they'll, they'll turn on you. The idea here is he's telling us to make a judgment call at times. And see, this is the balance between judging negatively towards people and making a judgment call of discernment in a particular situation with people. Now, discernment is kind of defined as the ability to judge well, meaning God gives us the ability to use godly wisdom, the, the ability to see things through his eyes. And so the idea is just because we should never sinfully judge people with wrong motives does not mean that we should not use discernment or judgment when we do deal with people. We should not completely ignore the character of a person that we're about to deal with. If we know the person we're about to deal with has a history of a certain response it tells us that we need to approach this with caution, right? Not judging them, but just, approach, just using godly wisdom. And, and I will just say this, especially when we think about this illustration that I just used. If Tyler comes to me and, he, and he's dealing with a sin in my life and my first response is to attack, if my, if my response is to start throwing all this stuff about the things I know in his life that are wrong and what right do you have to attack me, You know what the best response he can do at that point is? Is not keep going. What, what's that going to accomplish? The best thing in that moment to do is to turn around and give them over to the Lord. Because you're accomplishing nothing. There are times that when we're, there's no use in, in trying to give me that treasure of rebuke. That treasure of coming alongside of me. I'm, like a, I'm a pig that's going to turn on him and, and rend him, tear him to pieces, right? It's better not to throw that pearl. It's better just to turn me over to the Lord and let God deal with me. I think really is kind of the illustration. We're supposed to use judgment here. Now, there is a context in this too, and many theologians will actually look at this verse and say this is specifically talking about the gospel. And, and there is something very much to that. In fact, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus likens um, the gospel to a, a pearl of great price, right? Um, this precious thing. 
And the idea is that, um, you know, we, we have to think about this passage of Scripture in the context of our responsibility as Christians to tell people about Jesus. We have a responsibility to do that, right? We're supposed to tell everybody about the Lord. However, there is a contextual thing here where he says we need to be discerning in who we tell that to and, and how often we do that is kind of the idea. Now, as much as we want people saved, think about the gospel at its very foundation. It can be offensive, can it? I mean, if we're sharing the gospel correctly, what we're saying is, is that you are a guilty sinner that can't help yourself and you need a Savior. That to people is offensive. Who are you to judge me, right? Who are you to tell me that I'm a sinner, that I need a Savior? And, And many times people's response is to attack. We have a responsibility to share that, but there, there comes a point where we can do more damage than good if we keep on going. Maybe to ourselves, or it could even sour them to the point that they really want nothing to do with it if we push it too hard. Hence, the greatest pearl, the greatest treasure we can give is the gospel, but even with that, God calls us to make judgment calls on when and how and who we do these things to. A few examples. John the Baptist, for instance, amazing man. He went and sought trouble with King Herod, did he not? He went and sought trouble and because he wanted to make sure that he told him that he was in sin and what he was doing it was, a, was a gross sin in God's eyes. What, what happened to him? Off of his head. Literally, the, the queen got his head on a golden platter. I mean, you know, what, what good did that do? And again, I'm I'm not criticizing, I'm just saying it's it's a great example here. What could he have done for the next 30 years of his life as a witness for Christ had he not been so rash? I mean, think about Jesus. Jesus was very bold, but he didn't walk right down the road, all the way to to Italy, up the Roman streets, into the palace to, to to tell the emperor the truth, did he? No, he told the truth. Trouble came finding him, and he spoke boldly when when trouble came and found him, but he didn't go seeking trouble. Same with with the disciples. They were very bold, but they didn't go seeking trouble. Trouble found them. And so I I really think in a lot of ways Jesus is saying here in this passage of Scripture that we as God's people, although we shouldn't judge others, we should be discerning in everything that we do. And there are certain treasures that people just aren't ready for. And if we force it, it can cause far more damage than good for our own lives and maybe even for theirs. And so clearly Jesus says in these first six verses, there is a right way and a wrong way to judge. And as we close... I really want to think about the glue that brings all of this together for a moment. How do we do this properly? Because who knows this is a difficult thing. I mean, isn't it just natural for us to enter into a situation or this relationship with whoever we're dealing with and our first instinct is to think this or that and most of the time it's negative? It's just just there. It just happens. And so at the beginning of this message, I talked about the importance of a standard to measure by. 
And, and I said when this, especially with this, this issue, we need to measure this issue of judging. We need, we need to have a standard of measurement, right, to, to, so we can do this properly. And what I want to say is this. It's like when, when we deal with judging people, we can, we can do it one of two ways. One way is the wrong way, where I self-righteously set a standard of my own, Right? And I judge everybody based on how I feel about myself. Now, I've placed myself up on a pedestal. Therefore, I'm looking down my nose at everybody else, at all these different people, right? And it's kind of that, this holier than thou, I have it all going on, and this person has all these problems, and I think that I am something that I'm really not, and yet I'm making a judgment down towards these people. That's one way to do it, and that's the way many, many people do it. And that's why Jesus speaks of it here. But the proper way is this. What if, what if, before we judged anybody else, what if the standard of measurement that we used was Jesus? And what if we didn't say, well, yeah, but they don't even compare it. Now, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about numero uno. What if we first said, Jesus is here, he is perfect, holy, and righteous. How does my life compare to Jesus? Now, I'm, I'm not talking about being self-condemning, right? Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking, I mean, because you can get there, right? When, when you compare yourself to Jesus, it makes you go, real quick. Like, cause I got, it reveals our problems and it reveals our sin. When, we, when we're in the presence of holiness, it reveals sin. But here's why this is important. Because when we compare ourselves with the perfection of Christ, here's what happens. We are humbled. And we'll come, in that point, we'll realize that, you know what? I have got so many issues of my own. What, what right do I have to judge anybody? With the grace that I have been given in Christ, I know my heart. I know how many sins that I've committed in my life. I know the things that go through my mind. I know the attitudes that I have. And, and if he'll forgive me, if he'll look at me in spite of all that I've done and say, you're my son, I've perfected you, I've made you holy, I've made you righteous, you're mine. If he will say that to me with all the issues that I got, how in the world could I ever stand on a pedestal and look down my nose at anybody else? But you see, the people that are judgmental, the people that are quick to judge other people's thoughts and motives, they don't do that. They think too highly of themselves because they have not considered themselves against the person of Christ. Because if they had, there would be no room for self-righteous judgment. Now, for the person who refuses to do that, here's the results. That'll be a person that is arrogant and prideful, a person that will naturally be blind to their own faults, they will never properly deal with their sin before God. 
It'll create a lifestyle where they have no dependence on God because they don't even recognize their own faults and they don't even therefore recognize their need for God. It will hinder them from helping other Christians. It'll hinder their witness for Christ. It will greatly affect the way God deals with them in the here and now. It'll also greatly affect their heavenly rewards someday. There is no good result for a self-righteous person with a log in their own eye. There is no good that comes out of it. You know the worst part of self-righteousness? Is it absolutely blinds the person to themselves. They see a completely skewed view of reality. But for the person that will compare themselves to the real standard, for the person that, that daily says, Jesus, compared to you, I'm nothing. You know what happens to that person? It's a person that will walk in humility. It's a person that doesn't have room for arrogance in pride. It's a person that realizes very quickly they have no right to judge anybody else. There's no room to do that. That's a person that will daily confess their sins as they examine that log in their own eye. That's a person that will walk in dependence upon God and His strength because they know without Him they're going to fail. That's a person that, because of that view, it'll enable them, therefore, to extend mercy and grace and kindness to other people. It'll put them in a position to be able to minister properly to somebody else and actually help that person. Because remember, it, it, when a speck in a person's eye can turn into a log real quick. But if, but if I'm walking with the Lord humbly, I can carefully, like a, like a surgeon with, a, with an eye surgeon, right? I can carefully come alongside of that brother or sister in love and, and remove that and help them. And therefore, what happens there? I build heavenly reward. God is glorified. It puts me in position to be a witness to people because people no longer see me as the hypocrite that this verse talks about. It sees me as a, a genuine person that truly values and cares for people. The right standard of judgment is first and foremost judging ourselves against the Lord. And when we finally do that, the log is removed and we can see clearly to do this, the, the real ministry that we're called to do is to walk alongside of one another and help each other in this journey of life. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this time, for your word, for this teaching. Heavenly Father, I pray that, um, that God, you would help us in this area of our lives. God, it's something that we are always tempted to, to do. It's so easy, God, to judge people's motives and, and, and thoughts and judge people's hearts. And, and yet, God, it's, it's sin. Just, just flat out, it's sin. And so, God, just give us the ability to, uh, to, to not do that. Help us to be um, people that, that walk in humility, that walk humbly before you, that, that, uh, that seek to bring you glory and, and seek to help one another as well. And, Father God, I just pray that, uh, as I say every week, Lord, if there's anybody in this place that's never made the decision to, to follow Christ as Savior, God, tonight I just pray that they would just recognize their sin and admit their faults, admit that they need the Savior, they would look to Jesus who went to a cross, died, and rose again. Would just receive him as their Lord and Savior, receiving the forgiveness of their sins. Just, just let them do that tonight, Lord. Let them do that tonight. Father, we need you. 
The only way we, the only way we do this right is with you, with, with your strength and with your grace. So God help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me close. We're going to stand and sing a song.